everybody. Welcome to episode 527 wow, of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio, and I am your writer, host, and producer, Derek M. Cook. I'd like to welcome you to the show by playing a little bit of music. Right now, you're hearing the song Asleep in Armageddon. It's from the band Bamboogie Injections. It's from their brand new album, Orbit Chaos. You can pick it up over at bamboogieinjections.bandcamp.com or you can just follow the link in the show notes. So check out this album as well as their other albums. Just make sure you let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. I love when bands that we played in the past release new material because, well, it means they're doing well, I hope. And, you know, I just like to play their music and promote them a little bit and give them a little bit of love. So check out that album when you're done listening to this episode of the podcast. This week on the podcast, we are finally having D.B. Spitzer on the show proper. Now, D.B., I think, has been on the show in the past kind of haphazardly through recordings that we're taking at previous versions or, or years of the Lovecraft Film Festival in CthulhuCon. And I've always wanted to have him on the show proper. We've always wanted to do a conversation about, uh, oh man, definitely a classic or not so classic robot monster. And that's what's happening this week here on the show. Now, of course, it would not be an episode of Monster Kid Radio without some amazing segments from amazing contributors. Kenny is here with his look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. And Mark Matsky is here with his Beta Capsule Review, where he talks about every single episode of Ultraman, going through the entire Ultraman saga. He's already done Ultra Q. He is now in the first series of Ultraman. And, you know, it just keeps getting better and better. Everything that we talk about in this episode of Monster Kid Radio, you're going to find in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. From here, you're going to find links to our Discord, our Facebook, our Twitter, our, uh, what do we got else over there? Reddit's over there. Yeah, we've got a lot over there for you to follow up on, including buttons for you to go straight to Amazon and pick up any of the movies that we've talked about in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I talk about this typically at the end of every episode, but I want to mention it here at the top because anytime you buy anything through Amazon using one of those Amazon affiliate links, and it doesn't have to be what the link is for. Anytime you buy anything from Amazon, if you use that link, we get a little bit of a cut, and that helps out the show. It's one of the easiest ways for you to be able to support Monster Kid Radio. There's links over there for like Ultraman and Steve's book and, you know, whatever. But yeah, anytime you shop on Amazon, please consider using one of those links. You're also going to find links to our Twitch channel because we show movies twice a week. The Monster Kid Movie Club on Saturday, where we show at least eight hours of science fiction or monster or fantasy films and this time around we are showing six russian fantasy and sci-fi films curated by kenny and friend of the show matthew kowalski and then next tuesday the monster kid astronomy club we're showing some more film serials we'll be doing the second half of the spy smasher and secret agent x9 film serials that's over at twitch.tv slash monster kid radio or monster kid movie.club we've got all sorts of other kinds of fun things over at monsterkidradio.net so go check that out once again though wait until you're done listening to this episode which is gonna pick up right uh well now
Tonga. Not since King Kong has the screen exploded with such mighty fury. Defying bullets, bombs, rockets, standing a hundred feet tall, sending an entire civilization into panic. Conga, in color and spectimation. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at PaySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. from unexplored secret stratus. This giant, harder than steel piston, disgorges strange creatures, inundating our world, twisting the emotions of women, distorting our men. This is a piece we got off the mare. Reflex action like a snake. Cut a snake in half and the two pieces go off in different directions. These things take over a man's mind? He becomes a... A robot? A machine taking orders? Join the hunt for the hiding place of terror. Find the breeding place of these globs of destruction. In feeding the mouth parts, rupture the cells, convey the food to the stomach by a, a pumping action. adventure that'll burst your blood vessels with suspense. See the Brain Eaters. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. a rascal from outer space and he had the power to grant your wishes, what would you do? One man decides to do some pretty foolish things, putting Japan in peril in Ultraman's 11th episode. Things begin with Hoshino and friends witnessing a UFO landing in an industrial area. They track it down, discovering a small solid orb that has a most unusual property. 
It transforms into anything that one can imagine, for as long as one can keep it in mind. After he and his friends create toy cars, cakes, and pianos, Hoshino delivers the globe to the SSSP for study. It's determined that the object is some kind of living stone, and its abilities are demonstrated to a group of curious reporters. A mysterious man slips into the press conference and uses a creative method to abscond with the sphere. The thief uses the stone to create Gongo, a colorful, fanciful, relatively small monster, and at first he is content to use the creature in a series of practical jokes. When he wishes Gongo to grow to giant size, things quickly spiral out of control, necessitating the intervention of the science patrol, leading to what may be Ultraman's goofiest battle. The Rascal from Outer Space is an episode designed to amuse, and from beginning to end is filled with sight gags and slapstick comedy. Gongo himself is a bright and whimsical repurposing of a Bemlar costume with the personality of a small child. The mystery man who causes all the trouble is played by Ren Yamamoto, whose expressive features resulted in nearly constant acting work in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. In monster and special effects films, he often gets menaced or killed by a monster, as happens in the original Godzilla, as well as Rodan, the H-Man, the Human Vapor, and War of the Gargantuas. He also has the distinction of appearing in the very first Ultra Q, Defeat Gomez, and he will reappear in the next Subaraya production, Ultra 7. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. The strangest science fiction story ever told about man's deadliest enemy, the human vapor. Never before a power so dangerous, never before an enemy so indestructible. Nothing on earth could stop him. The human vapor, half beast, half man. Dr. Sano had said I'd be a superman. Instead, he had created the human vapor. Now I should be grateful to our doctor, should die. He did not do as he intended, yet he did give me supreme power now. I can have anything I choose, destroy anyone I care to. No prison bars could keep him in, no door could keep him out. The human vapor slips through every crack, through every opening, to terrify, to destroy, to kill. See the human vapor transform before your eyes from human form to vapor nightmare. The human vapor brings you a haunting legacy of fear, causing panic and riot and devastation. See this weird story of a superhuman power that menaces the world. Who can kill like an inhuman monster, but who loves like a man? Here for the first time, the most dangerous experiment in terror. See the disintegration of a human being into the deadliest vapor killer. Born of woman, but recreated by an evil science into an ectoplasmic horror to stagger your imagination. The human vapor will come to life and bring you the most terrifying experience in scientific history. The human vapor. Is he man or astro-man? The human vapor in living color on the giant screen. The Human Vapor! From the gay 
place in spots of a great city to the last desperate refuge of millions underground, the incredible, monstrous H-Man strikes terror to every heart, disintegrates everyone it touches. It kills, but can't be killed. The most incredible man you never saw. Deadly byproduct of the H-bomb blasts. Dooming mankind to oblivion. See a great city fight back. Commence operations. To stop the deadliest killer the world has yet encountered. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today, Derek and his guest are analyzing the classic robot monster, which inexplicably did not merit coverage in FM. But robots in general were always a favorite in its pages. It was 40 years ago that the world first heard of robots. They began in Czechoslovakia, in the mind of sci-fi author and playwright Carol Kapik. He created them for his play R.U.R., Rossum's Universal Robots. Any dictionary worth its name will tell you where robot came from. But how many well-educated individuals realize that by definition, Kapik didn't create robots. After all, his brain gave birth to androids. Modern golems, humanoids. For the popular concept of a robot has come to be a man of metal, a creation of copper and steel and wires and light bulbs, an automaton, a tow bar, a Robbie. That is how the article The Metal Monsters from FM12 from June of 1961 began. It was six pages long and featured brief write-ups on Maria from Metropolis, Robbie from Forbidden Planet and Invisible Boy, Tobor the Great, and the invading robots from Target Earth. It included pictures from 1934's Vanishing Shadow, Earth vs. Flying Saucers, which weren't really robots, Invisible Boy, Captain Video, Tobar the Great, and the Mexican film Platillos Voladores, also known as the Flying Saucers. A promised second part came in FM 15 from January of 1962. It was called I Was a Ten-Age Robot, and covered eight pages and included eight photos. It was introduced with this groan-worthy prose. Robot Mitchum was my father. Gear Garson was my mother. Mechanical Francis was my first girlfriend. My great-grandmother was the original Can-Can Girl. And my grandfather was the first metal man employed in an automobile repair shop. My uncle Humboldt constructed the first iron curtain. We used it in our house to keep the bathroom dry when we took a shower. Of course, we always showered in oil, as all robots hate water like vampires loathe wolfbane. Rust, you know. We went oily to bed and oily to rise. It then covered the robots from Day the Earth Stood Still, Gog, the Colossus of New York, the Devil Girl from Mars, Kronos, the Phantom Empire, Johnny Vangman and the Big Comet, and finally Twonky, which was a sentient TV set. It ends with a list of 23 movies that included robots. Photos were from The Aztec Mummy vs. The Robot, Day the Earth Sits Still, Tobar the Great, Colossus of New York, Platillos Voladores, Metropolis, Gog, and The Monster and the Ape. No Roman here. Are apes with diving helmets really robots? That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. 
We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. We saw this with our own eyes, an object the like of which we had never seen before. A frightening, strange shape descending from outer space with relentless purpose. Where did it come from? And what did it want of us? Hello, hello, hello. It's an aircraft to a like nothing I've ever seen before. Hello. What do you mean? Hello, hello. It's like something from another planet. Do not try to follow me. You cannot get help. Around this house, I've drawn an invisible wall through which no one may pass. Here is a news reporter with a world-shattering story. A girl trying to escape from her past. The scientist trapped in spite of his knowledge. And here also is the barmaid hiding a murderer's secret. A murderer with a life already forfeit. And introducing the devil girl from Mars herself. Get back on fire. You fool. Get back! Shoot, man, shoot! Be prepared for terror as the screen unleashes the greatest double, all-monster, earth-shaking shock show. Cronus and She-Devil. Cronus, the most horrifying monster of all time, sucking up the world's lifeblood and atomic energy to keep his fiendish world of outer space alive. And She-Devil, hell's most gorgeous demon. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. I mean, I kind of love this movie and you know there's things about it that i really think are terrible but there's things about it that i find very endearing and kind of love it's like the cinematography isn't terrible (laughs) (laughs) the sets are, are non-existent the acting is kind of like i mean the whole movie feels like okay well i know a guy who has a gorilla suit and i've got a diving helmet um She'll be easy to get because she just got blackballed. This guy's a foreigner. Okay, cool. And (laughs) these other people, you know, I can get everyone for super cheap, and I know that person there. And, you know, it's like we don't even have sets. We'll just do this. And all of our special effects will be from other movies and stuff that we'll do in post. And it's like, all right, cool. Uh, Oh, man, it's just over 60 minutes. Well... A really long credit scene with a bunch of magazines laying on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, man. Listeners, who you've been hearing is is uh, D.B. Spitzer, who has kind of sort of been on the show in the past yeah. uh, through uh, appearances at like the Lovecraft Film Festival, things like that. But this is the first time we've actually connected for an in-depth conversation about a movie that gets really deep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> D.B., welcome to the show, man. Hey, it's good to be on the show. Good to be with the uh, Monster Kid Radio crew. So, yeah, I'm no, excited about this been way too long i know we always talk about it and i I know we talked about robot monster years ago oh yeah it's this is like four or five years in the making i think by now (laughs) that seems to be a theme lately with my recordings that i've been doing lately with people it's you know we've talked about this for years and we finally pulled the trigger finally finally we're making it happen well i'm glad it's not just me i thought maybe i was the bottom of the barrel that you're oh no 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 It's, it's just you know my scheduling you know i've been getting these weird orders from roman and you know i, I just i don't understand but i must but i can't and i i don't know <laughs> uh, before we talk about roman though i want to talk about you man yeah. you've been podcasting for a while you're as far as i'm concerned a pretty important voice in this space when it comes to all this niche stuff that we're into. Uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, Radio Free Oleander, doing all sorts of stuff. How long have you been podcasting? Oh, goodness. I I started, I tried to start back in 2009, and I recorded a bunch of stuff, and then I couldn't figure out how to get it online because I didn't understand the internet very well back then. (laughs) (laughs) And then I finally got everything together in about uh, late 2014, and I started People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos in about 2015. And I did that until the pandemic. And then uh, David Heath, uh, I've been helping him with a show that I've been tr- producing for him, Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. And he'd been donating stuff to Black Clock Audio Tales, my audiobook podcast. It's all on the same feed. I used to try and do them all on different feeds, but that just became a big mess. And everyone's just like, put them all on one feed. And I'm like, I'll put them all on one feed. And then I'm like, why don't I just collapse all shows into one show? So I took People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, Black Clock Audio Tales, Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, and then combined them into this thing called Radio Free Oleander, which is... A real podcast about a fake radio show in a fake town. It's kind of like, I don't know, we talk about Dungeons and Dragons. We talk about nerd geek culture. And we also talk about the ongoings of, I don't know, a town that's somewhere between like Mayberry meets Silent Hill. (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's all kinds of goofy, corny jokes. We try and keep it as PG as possible. Uh, we talk about Dungeons & Dragons. We, talk, we just talked about James Bond the other day. We have uh, authors, writers, directors, podcasters. You've been on a number of times in the last year, I believe. Yeah, I've done a couple of uh, sessions with Dave, and it's been a blast, man. Yeah. He better have been telling you that every time I talk to him, I say, tell DB I said hi. Oh, oh yes, yeah. Okay, no, yes. okay. I'm calling you out, Dave. Um. Yeah. And in some way, we're, we're kind of analog horror. And analog horrors kind of like making new media look like old media. And it's horror, but it's kind of horror as in like you have to read between the lines to kind of get what's going on. Like this, you know, this is the end of our broadcast day and... I don't know. I guess uh, examples of 
analog horrors. If you go to YouTube and look up Channel 58, a really kind of broad, goofy example, I guess, would be like some aspects of Wel- Welcome to Night Vale. Okay. But uh, yeah, no, no, there's there's like weird things that happen in the background, kind of like we don't point at and go, yeah, there's like a ghoul infestation in the next town over. And this is happening, and it's slowly decimating the countryside, and this is what's going on. That's not happening in our show, but because we don't actually talk about the horrors that are happening surrounding us. We just kind of talk about the dumb, goofy things that we find interesting happening in our fake town while terrible, weird stuff happens in the surrounding peripheral. But <laughs> sometimes it's like I have to remind Dave, oh, hey, Dave, remember, this is this terrible stuff's happening in the background. He's like, oh, yeah, no, I remember. I'm just not bringing it up because Farmer Dave doesn't know about it. I'm like, oh, OK, cool. So a little <laughs> peek behind the curtain there. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, because I mean, I know Dave. Dave's a friend. Dave's been oh, sure. on the show before. And I'm actually going to have him on in the future to talk about Astro Zombies, which I can't oh, cool. wait for. Um, nice. Yeah, you know, he's been a supporter of MKR for a long time, and every time I talk to him for your show, it always starts as Farmer Dave doing this, but then it, it quickly devolves into just a couple of guys talking about whatever goofy topic we decided to talk about that week. Oh, and yeah. Then it, yeah, and then it's it's kind of sandwiched into in this Farmer Dave talking about what's going on in town to who the mayor is this month to... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I love. I love. I love the approach and I love the take. And I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes for everybody to check it out. But to keep it simple, just to kind of let people know about it right now, pgttcm.com. Is that right? pgttcm.com. That's where all of the feeds kind of mingle. That's where the hive is. But yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah, we'll make sure there's a link there. Uh, and if you go to various local festivals, you might run into DB. I know he's done readings. I know he's you've been on some panels too, right? At oh yeah, yeah. Festivals no, Wizard so. World, generally HP Lovecraft Film Festival, uh, trivia winner at the Portland Horror Film Festival. But yeah, really, I, I try not to win stuff because I, I feel like oh man, I I'm not I'm not I shouldn't be answering trivia questions about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I know too much, and then it's like, oh wait a minute, I'm a civilian here. I'm not on a panel. I can raise and <laughs> stuff like that happens. I feel bad about that too. Whenever there's like a podcast thing and I win something on a podcast or on a YouTube channel, it's like, but I'm <laughs> I'm a colleague, but I'm not. Am I, you know, am I eligible to win? Am I f- the family friends thing? That's not, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. I always feel weird about that. But then if people want to send me stuff, I'll take it. Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> I'm not working right now. Send me your stuff. So yeah, I'm just really excited to have you here to talk about this movie. Uh, now we've learned a little bit about you, but one of my favorite ways to learn about people when we have them on the show is to play a game. Oh, we have a game here. It's called the classic five. And I don't know if we've ever done this in person or not. I've seen this happen at the Lovecraft film festival. I believe I saw a live episode of uh, monster kid radio. I've been excited to do this for a number of years. The classic five. So we've got a deck of cards here, an actual literal deck of cards that you can pick up for yourself over at DriveThruRPG, excuse me, DriveThruCards.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Each one of these cards has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question on them? There are no wrong answers. Sure. We're going to go through five cards. DB, are you ready to play a round of the classic five? Ready to play. All right, here we go. Card number one. Who else could have or should have played Frankenstein's monster? Ooh, could have or should have played Frankenstein's monster. Oh, wow. 
I I can't think of anything that's just too iconic. I I like anyone who I think of. It's like no, no, no. It's anyone who's played Frankenstein. The only thing I can think of is like, well, maybe if we switch that Frankenstein uh, actor with that Frankenstein actor. But that's that's about it. I don't know. I I, I can't say uh, one Frankenstein's better than the other. I think I, I think uh, I think all the Frankenstein's are pretty awesome. <laughs> are there any actors that you would like to see take on the role that haven't had a chance to do it yet? You know, I I really can't think of anyone who uh, maybe The Rock. But I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think The Rock is too charismatic to play Frankenstein. But he's he's definitely has that. Like I don't know, maybe Arnold is like old enough now that he's like not so like I don't know beefcakey. But it's like <laughs> I can't really imagine Frankenstein like posing and also i don't know frankenstein doesn't take place in the jungle and for some reason a lot of rock movies always take place in the jungle these days you know i'm imagining the rock as a frankenstein's monster now and i can't get the image out of my head so you know what we'll take it you're welcome (laughs) wow you know i would have never thought robert de niro would play the monster and he did in the 90s so oh yeah yeah not that that i'm saying the rock is as good an actor as de niro but you know all right, what do we got next? Card number two. Who's your favorite actress to appear in a Hammer film? Favorite actress to appear in a Hammer film? Mm-hmm. Uh, Baroness of Blood. Uh, no, um, Peter Cushing's in it. He wears a very fancy uh, officer's uniform. It's based off of Camilla. Ingrid Pitt? I believe so, yes. <laughs> now, Ingrid Pitt is gorgeous and amazing. So, yeah, no. Yeah. I was I was gonna say whoever plays uh, Camilla in that is is definitely like number one in my book. Yeah, Ingrid Pitt's fantastic. I would have loved to have met her. All right, card number three. What classic monster movie should be turned into a musical? Robot Monster. Oh wow! You're just a pooped out pinwheel. <laughs> ah, okay, so not just a musical, but it sounds like like a rock musical at this point. Yes, yes. Do oh, some I love of, it. Yeah. Rock and Robot Monster, the musical. <laughs> I love it. Oh, wow. Who's got the rights? Let's make that happen. Oh, man. Uh, that's something I keep thinking about Like while watching this. is like I could remake Robot Monster in my backyard, and it would look better. I mean, <laughs> I love Robot Monster, and you know, I, we'll go into it a little bit more, but it's like I think anyone could l- literally make this movie with the phones and the cameras and what all we have these days but yeah yeah and we can talk about the right situation too when we get there because there's it's a little wonky card number four who's your favorite giant monster king kong or godzilla oh timely card godzilla godzilla i i believe uh king kong was who i first found out about when i was like four or five with the uh king kong remake that came out in the late 70s early 80s i can't remember yeah late 70s 70s okay but then it was there was this cartoon about Godzilla that I was like, this is amazing. This cartoon with Godzilla and Godzuki. This, oh no! <laughs> this is the best cartoon ever. This is this is even better than Super Friends. And I, I was four. I was three or four at the time. So I mean, that's my excuse for it. Um, I probably thought Scrappy Doo was awesome then too. And <laughs> and that's where I learned about Godzilla. And I was like, this is amazing. And Everyone is like, yeah, this is terrible. If you really want to check out Godzilla, there's this amazing black and white film 
with Raven Chandler. And her, uh, <laughs> yeah. who's, who's, who, who got inserted into Godzilla? I'm awful at this stuff sometimes. <laughs> um, now, you know what? Uh, the Godzilla cartoon, I don't think we've really talked too much in depth about here on the show. But I love that it exists because it brought somebody into kaiju fandom and Godzilla fandom. So there you go. The, the, the cartoon suddenly has some worth. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Final card. Question number five. Uh, let's see. Let's go with how are, are you pretty good on your kaiju? Pretty good on your Godzilla movies? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I wouldn't say I'm super. Favorite Godzilla foe? Well, it's 2021. We have Godzilla. Why don't we have Sciencezilla? We already have Sciencezilla. It's Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> Mecha Godzilla is pretty awesome. Yeah, science. No, no I didn't think about. Oh wow, is that on a T-shirt? That needs to be turned into a T-shirt design of some sort. No, it was something I said the other day to my girlfriend, and she laughed. And uh, then I posted it on Facebook, and then a bunch of people on Facebook laughed. And then I'm like, oh, I should turn that into a T-shirt. But that needs to be something. Yeah, I yeah. like it. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the classic five, man. And I know I said there are no winners. But I think you just won the game, which means as your reward, as your prize, you get to be on Monster Kid Radio this week. All right. <laughs> With the swiftness of a deadly cosmic ray, the Earth is invaded by indestructible moon monsters. Their ghastly mission, death for all humans. What astounding technical developments are being made to protect mankind? Robot Monster brings you an actual preview of the devastating forces of our future. Unsuspected revelations of incredible horrors that will terrify you with their brutal reality. There is no escape from me. Fool humans, there is no escape. A classic from 1953, Robot Monster, just barely over an hour long. It's a movie. Yeah. Uh, it, just it, you know, it's it's fun. Um, yeah. I, I do enjoy the movie. Directed by Phil Tucker, who was actually a production manager on that King Kong from the 70s. Mm-hmm. So there's our little King Kong connection there for you. I don't know if we were looking for All one right. or not, but we found one. He did a few movies here and there. He's a director of uh, things like the Cape Canaveral Monsters, which I'm a big fan of, uh, and a few other non-genre stuff that I'm not really aware of. I'm not sure whose idea it was to make this movie, but like you said, it's very short. It's very yeah. small. And I'm not sure why or, or what the decision was there, but I dig it. I like the way it opens. I like the magazines and comics. I guess they're not really comics. They're more like pulp magazines, right? Yeah. Uh, all kind of showing off robot monster type stories within with the credits that were obviously designed for 3D because this movie was originally released in 3D. Yeah, I I've, I've, I've found uh, one copy and then I realized I didn't have 3D classes. Oh, no. You actually found a 3D copy of it online somewhere or a video of it? Yeah, yeah. I found uh, a 3D copy. I also found someone went through and took a colorized copy and then did kind of like an offset kind of to do a fake 3D. And that was that was interesting. But uh, yeah, something I keep thinking of when I watch this movie is like 
this is a movie that was made. And I looked up, I, I kept trying to look up kind of like, does this have kind of like a Manos Hand of Fate kind of background? Does this, is this like something that's like, well, you know, if we, uh, if we don't make a robot monster, we'll lose the rights to the words robot monster. Or, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, but it just kind of seems like someone like, you know, I know the guy who dresses up as a uh, gorilla and all the MGM stuff over here. I know this guy who I can get cheap over here. You know, we can just film over here, over by these caves, just punch something up overnight and we'll figure it out in post. And you know what? We'll figure out what the sky platform or the space platform looks like later. And <laughs> just kind of threw together this movie that they thought was going to be like 70 minutes, you know, not probably make a ton of money, but at least make some money. I don't know. It just it, it just kind of strikes me as like not something that was like a labor of love. Like they thought really, really, really hard about this and came up with names like Roman. I would not be surprised if a, a lot of the genesis of this movie was, hey, we got the guy with the gorilla suit. Yeah. And to be fair, and I haven't had a chance to read it, there have been at least two, I believe, books about the making of this movie. Uh, and I haven't read either one of them. I might even own one of them, and I just haven't gotten to it yet. You'd think in all the time that we've been talking about doing this, I would have had a chance to read it by now, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah. Uh, so there, there may be more to the genesis of this that we're just missing, but it definitely has that feel <laughs> for sure. This kind of, I know George Barrows, he's a gorilla guy. Yeah. Um, he's free for the weekend. <laughs> <You know? laughs> They filmed it in four days, I read. Are you serious? Four days. I did, oh, well, that makes sense. For like, I think like $16,000 in four days. It's just like, wow. yeah, well, okay. They don't even shoot day for night in this at all. And since everyone's dead, they can't like go to the next town over and film the rodeo or a parade or anything like that. It's like all the things that you would do to fill out a B movie. They can't do the Manos hand of fate, like filming a car driving down the road. Even this is just like a minimum amount of people and a monster and someone's backyard. It looks like, even though, I mean, it's, it's filmed in national park space, but it's an iconic space, you know, Bronson Canyon. Yes. Which, you know, if you, wait long enough the Batmobile's going to drive out of. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's an iconic location, and it turns up in so many movies. And really, if I had access to that, I'd put a crew together and shoot a movie in four days out there. Oh, yeah. Why not? I would love to. I mean, someday I'm going to get out there and check it out. Someday. I've never been. I want to get out to California and just check out all these iconic sites, and that's one of them. Um, and I'm probably big enough to pretend to be Roman wandering around out there. <laughs> I think I have a foundry suit somewhere that we could make a monster outfit with. <laughs> I, I'm not really into cosplay or anything like that, but I've long <laughs> said that if I ever got into cosplay, Robot Monster would be my guy. That'd be the guy I could probably pull off the most. Although it seems incredibly warm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it's something I kept thinking about is like, that is a big, heavy suit. I kept thinking about Tina Turner's outfit in Mad Max Beyond uh, Thunderdome, how she talked about how it was like a 90 pound outfit. And I'm like, Roman outfit, just the gorilla suit itself has got to be a good hundred pounds of like fur and burlap. Yeah. And that helmet, who knows <laughs> if that's like just tinfoil around a diver's helmet or what they did for that thing. But. Yeah. And you know, the thing about these gorilla guys, especially back then, 
you know, you think about like Charlie Gamora, George Barrows, and all these others, mm-hmm. they made their own suit. Yeah. And I'm sure I've read somewhere, and I don't have a site to source here, or a source to cite here, but even they, even though they made the suit for themselves, would make comment about how hot and uncomfortable it was. But they yeah. loved doing it, and they were good at it. And I, I feel like we've kind of lost that tradition of Hollywood gorilla guys, your gorilla yeah. men. I, I love it. I wish there was more of it, but then... <laughs> You know, the genre's definitely evolved a lot since then. There's an AMC show we need to have, uh, Golden Age Gorilla Guys. I love it. I'm all in, man. I'm all in. I know a few people. Let's make some calls. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know there's a group on Facebook that that still celebrates this, and still every once in a while we'll make something. You know, they do their own gorilla suits. Chris Wales is part of the group. Um, you know, and I've seen some of their short films and all that, and just it's awesome i mean just what they did i mean the bob burns would do it and you know all these other folks just it blows my mind yeah that that was like a job it wasn't i wasn't an actor i wasn't an actress i wasn't an editor director i was the guy in the gorilla suit and that was his job you know multiple films i mean i don't think uh hollywood's really needed anything like that since congo (laughs) right yeah (laughs) You know, I mean, if nothing else, Rick Baker maybe filled that yeah. role for a little while, but then, you know, <laughs> even then, he only did a few in suit. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm having images of schlock running through my brain. It's like, oh, <laughs> that's a movie. <laughs> even oh, though my. this movie feels kind of low budget. Okay, yeah. it is low budget, even though it definitely feels low budget. One of the things that always strikes me when I'm watching the opening credits to this <laughs> is when the credit for the music comes up. Elmer Bernstein. Yes. How? Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> studio music. I, I think they just got studio music just like the dinosaurs are from 1 million BC. It's I mean, got to be that, right? It's got to be some stock from yeah. something else in this movie, except for like what you see on the, I mean, like except for the actors, everything is taken from something else. They didn't have really money for special effects besides scratching into the negatives and a bubble machine <laughs> oh and a strobe light and then they did the negative thing <laughs> and the 3d i think they're like huh well how, how can we save money so we can get the 3d effect going it had to have been like you just said it had to have been stock music you know it's whatever studio put this out had the rights to but <laughs> how many scores did he do over 200 film scores over the years oh yeah <laughs> you know i don't know where he was at that time but wow i guess it gives the movie a more epic feel than i think it deserves and i love it for that yeah yeah there's there's certain things that really kind of lend robot monster to feel more of a movie than it actually is um like you have like the gorilla suit which shows up in other stuff mm-hmm. you have the, the score and you have the cinematography in this film is not terrible it's competent it looks like a real movie it (laughs) stuff's in focus it's 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 like they got someone who knew what they were doing it's like the sound and the uh cinematography work which i mean you you go and look at you other movies you're like mano's hand of fate was terrible but this this is like people who new stuff about movies who actually this this isn't you know just like people who didn't know anything this has actual actors in it and they're like hey uh who who wants to make some money we're gonna make a 3d picture real quick and we'll just outsource a bunch of the other stuff and fix it in post as i keep saying and that's just what it feels like it sounds like 
we could make a quick 3D monster movie so fast, everyone. Okay, fine, yeah, sure, I can do it. I, I got a weekend. I'll do this Memorial Day. Okay, sure, fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hate to be cynical, but like I've worked on stuff like this in the past for like just little small monster movies in college towns. And it's just kind of like show up in the middle of the morning, you know, like before the sun comes up, set everything up, film everything you can from as many different angles because you only have one place to shoot. <laughs> and get out of there before hikers show up because they be like, wait a minute, why is everyone dressed like hillbillies? And are those real shotguns? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you say that and it kind of sheds a different light on the movie for me. This really feels like a film school project. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I went to film school for a few years. I used to think I'd be a filmmaker when I grew up and all that stuff. And it definitely feels like something that a handful of my friends would have tried to make while in film school, but not necessarily for a film school class. Just, uh, hey, I have access to all the equipment this weekend. Let's pretend we're doing something for a project. And, uh, hey, your dad yeah. knows somebody who was in a movie once. Let's put him in it. Hey, you know someone who's an adult who could pass as a cop? Okay, we'll have them come on for like right. 20 minutes and buy them lunch. And then they can be like, oh, yeah, I was in a film with their coworkers. It and really yeah, feels no. like that, doesn't it? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess this is like Phil Tucker's first movie. He had the uh, other one that came out before this, but this one was technically filmed right before that. And yeah, no, this is just like everything I read about this little bits and pieces. It's just people who knew people who just wanted to get something done for as cheap as possible. And you know, let's make it 3d. And that's one of the things that I love about the genre, especially in the fifties and sixties. And, you know, I used to tell people when I was going to film school that I, I can't wait to make horror movies because they seem to be the most accessible. You can make horror movies. It didn't matter how much money you spent on it. You could still pull something off. And then I would always follow it up with the caveat that it used to be like that for science fiction until Star Wars came around. Now you've got to have millions of dollars for a science fiction movie. But with horror movies, you can still keep it cheap. Sure. Before Star Wars, you could keep science fiction movies cheap. And, well, this one. <laughs> this one they kept cheap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. This was... <sighs> the one thing that still bugs me. I, I, I got this as a gift a billion years ago. Like I got a copy of robot monster, I think with a DVD player in the nineties and I'd seen parts of it here and there as a kid. And it was like, Oh yeah, it's the gorilla movie with the thing on his head, the gorilla with the TV on its head. I, I thought of as a kid. And then I watched it. It was like, this movie is stupid and amazing at the same time that I tracked down the MST three K and I was like, Oh yeah, no, this movie is amazing and stupid at the same time. And it was something that just always felt like little bits of cast off bits from here and there, very student filmy. But there's always like things that bug me about the movie. It's like, why does only one person have a Austrian accent? And <laughs> the, the, the film is like really, really kind of like with the explanatory dialogue, it's like, okay, we had a lot more stuff that we wanted to film, but we're not going to film it. So, all right, Roy, you tell Alice all this stuff. Alice, you tell Roy all this stuff. Johnny, you tell everyone all these things. And now we know everything that we, we know what happened to everyone and why there's no one here. Professor, you tell your part. Okay, lady who doesn't have a name, you talk. <laughs> and we're going to lose the girl that plays Carla, so let's kill her off. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, she, she, she has to go back with her mom in two days, so, okay, we'll kill her off, and then we just won't have her. And yeah, no, and it's, it just, 
it feels cheap, but not cheap at the same time. There's like weird things with like the space platform. It looked like someone put a model rocket on a string and just let it spin around. How is that even supposed to be a space platform that made me so mad? They could have at least did a bad matte painting. I'm like, actually, no, a bad matte painting would have taken more time. It's like, I guess that was the right decision to have the terrible rocket thing. And Well, they could have just pulled some footage from something else because everything else in this movie that's amazing came from other films. You know, all the the stop motion that turned up and the giant dinosaurs, which, you know, it's a couple of lizards fighting each other, which I hated when they did that, but I understand that was kind of how they did it back then. Uh Um, But that all came from other films. I mean, why why not just find some other sci-fi movie that had maybe a platform-like thing? Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that I'm like, oh, if if someone could make, like, a Robot Monsters special edition, that would be the thing that I fixed. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Get it redone with, like, the live 3D technology, so it... (laughs) You know, those bubbles really pop, you know, just really. <laughs> there's there's weird scenes in this, like, romantic soldering. Like, it's it's the <laughs> montage that lets you know that Alice and Roy are growing together as a couple, but they're also getting stuff done, and they're going to fix everything. Oh, the back and forth arguing, but their hands touch over a soldering iron. You're like, oh, geez. <laughs> now, isn't that shot, though? That, that's a shot of just their hands and the soldering tools, right? You don't yes. ever see their mouths. So that no. could have been shot anywhere by anybody at any time. Oh, yeah. It yeah. just let's record some dialogue and we'll put it over some footage that uh, my sister and I'll record some, you know, film somewhere else. <laughs> you know, that's just. <laughs> Your A squad is your B squad. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we're sitting here laughing and that sort of thing. And on MKR, we, we try to respect the movies a little bit. And I, I want to be clear. I love this movie for oh, all of it. its faults. It's so just wacky and impossibly bad, but I still love it. I'm never bored. I think anyone who's done any creative work or filmmaking can see oh, I know what happened here. I have a good idea what happened here. They just ran out of time. Or, oh, that's why they had to do it this way. It's like, oh, hey, that's a really good way that they filmed this because you can see if they filmed it here and then they also filmed it there. You can kind of tell that they just kind of like put the camera in the center and moved it around. It's like, okay, this is this place. That's this place. That's this place. And if we turn it this way, it's this place. And we'll just picnic over there. Just, I was watching it today. I was like, Oh, they just set up their picnic in the one place where there weren't rocks everywhere. It's like, why would you go to a picnic? Is like, oh, hey, we're going to go have a picnic in the middle of a rock pile and run into some geologists. Just <laughs> <laughs> Now, I've never been, like I said, but my understanding is that Bronson Cave looks really cool mm-hmm. as long as you don't look too far to the left or the right of it. And then it kind okay. of like. Kind of like the pyramids, you know, there's a lot of whatever civilization around. That's my understanding. Like I said, somebody can, I've never been there. Maybe somebody can correct me, but I'm wondering if they had to like lock the camera down in very specific places to make sure they didn't catch the highway, you know, or or, or the the telephone pole or something, you know. Um, But they did what they had to do to, to make their story, which in a weird way holds up because it's really just one big dream. So as as soon as you put that dream logic filter over everything that you're watching, suddenly it's a little bit more acceptable. And maybe that's why I enjoy this so much. It's like, yeah, of course, there's a bubble machine. That means science fiction robot invasion. But if you watch it the second time, then you start thinking about, okay, so if this is just a dream, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched this, 
you start thinking, wait a minute, Johnny had a dream about his older sister being in a love triangle with some scientist and a robot monster. Johnny had a dream about his little sister getting killed by a robot monster. (laughs) Johnny dreamed that the Austrian uh, scientist that he just met is his new dad because he said before he cracked his head open or whatever, I wish I had a dad who was a scientist who made rockets and stuff. <laughs> there are I've seen some. This movie a few times. Oh, hey, no, I. <laughs> you look like a pooped out pinwheel. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, there are some to kind of apply some real criticism to it. There are some point of view violations, I suppose you could say. Because if it really is all Johnny's dream, how is he dreaming about his sister and Roy going off and doing whatever it is they're going to do while the camera fades to black. (laughs) How does Johnny even know what that is? (laughs) Well, that's maybe why it faded to black, because Johnny's like, my my seven-year-old brain, eight-year-old brain doesn't know any more than that. But the mother knew, because as soon as they came back, they're like, where where have you been? What have you been doing? Well, isn't it obvious? Like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Johnny knew something. (laughs) Uh, Carla's death is the one that always kind of shocks me, though, because if it is, again, all of his dream, he really didn't want to play house, did he? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I remember the first time I watched this, and I was just like, this is really, really, really dark. Why do you have the gun? It's no use against Roman. The gun's not for Roman. It's like, oh, geez, okay. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) <laughs> man you know if again if it's all johnny's dream he's like regurgitating things that he didn't quite understand but he's seen somewhere else or read somewhere else yeah because there, there are dark there are dark moments in this. that's something i think is like what kind of media is johnny exposed to besides like space helmet bubble blowing uh spark shooting guns <laughs> <laughs> is the uh pile of ec comics we see in the beginning johnny's <laughs> yeah hey you know you know maybe, maybe. I, yeah but again it's all with just one big lovable ball of fun i think if it ran a little bit longer it wouldn't be nearly as fun It'd feel a bit more like a slog but for me it feels like the perfect length for what it is oh yeah until the very, very end where you see like the three or four shots repeated of Roman coming out of the cave. Yes. Kind of that weird superimposed, let's really take advantage of the 3D effect here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's exactly what I think. And Well, we got the strobe light still. We don't have to bring it back until we don't have to bring it back to L.A. until Monday. Or, or the editor was like, you know, it'll look cool. It doesn't have anything to do with the story. We'll just run it three times. We'll, we'll get as much of this uh, 3D effect as we can. <laughs> now, I've heard that it isn't really a diving helmet, that it was something that was designed specifically for the film. Um, okay. But it looks like a diving helmet. It looks like a diving helmet. <laughs> it, it really does. And, and I know the one that the, what do they call him, the guidance or whatever his, oh. his superior it looks a little different but it's yeah. still it's still a diving helmet yeah uh yeah and, and he's played by the same guy so probably the same suit I figured as much yeah yeah so he's sitting there talking to himself you know i'm looking at the credits list here and you talked about the cinematography and it, yeah for what it is jack green how i know nothing about but he did a lot this was like the second to the last thing he did 
Okay. But he did a lot from the 30s onward. You know, I don't really recognize any other names here. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, George Nader is in the cast, I guess. You know, he's a, a big name, of course. But the rest of them, Mother and the Professor, I mean, they're all people that have a lot of credits, but nothing that really stands out to me. Did anybody stand out to you? No, no. Um, I remember looking up stuff. One, uh, like, uh, the mother was suspected of communist activities at some point in time. Uh, the professor <laughs> was a renowned Austrian actor. And yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. The one thing that I saw is like, uh, unfortunately, due to the times and stuff like that, the actor who played Roy couldn't be open about his sexuality. It was like friends with Rock Hudson and that kind of stuff. And was like kind of ah. part of like the underground gay uh, LA scene. But I don't know if that's something they talk about on the show, but that's something I read. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've stumbled across some of that, too. Like I said, I've got the books I haven't read, but I did do a lot of research as much as I could online. But, of course, you go to the Internet, then how true is it? But I did read a lot of that. I read a lot of things about how the director was so disappointed in the film that he attempted suicide. Now, I yeah. don't know if that's true or not. It's it's something I read on multiple, multiple sources over the years. Well, okay, well, he didn't. So that's that's good. Man, I, I really hope that didn't happen. Yeah. I can't imagine being so disappointed in this film that that would have been... Your, but anyway, I, trigger warning, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things that may or may not have happened, but I can't confirm it. <laughs> if I could talk to him now, and I can't because he's no longer with us, I'd tell him I love the movie. It's just so much fun. Yeah. Even though it's a big, goofy mess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I've been a fan of it for a long time. And it's it's because of it takes itself very seriously. It's, yes, it's, it does. It's, 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 at no point in time is anyone like, can you believe I'm in this? <laughs> Nobody's Holmes. winking at the camera. Everybody's playing it dead serious, even though it's got this weird childlike logic all over it. Yeah, yeah, which I guess does kind of lead into the fact that it's Johnny's dream, but... Oh, man, I have to say, one of my favorite things about this movie, and we've mm -hmm. touched on it, is romance, simplistic, yet iconic design. It is just, you can draw it simply. It It's very representational. You can just kind of, like, do a stripped-down version of romance, and people recognize it. It's like a, it's a gorilla with a robot head. It's <laughs> and it's iconic. It's, yeah, and it's it's one of those things. It's like, it's it's a shame that the movies so looked down upon because I think Roman or Roman in general could have, could have been a thing in the fifties. I mean, it's kind of like this, uh, hyper real kind of, uh, representational kind of thing of, I feel like Roman represents kind of schlocky B movies from the early fifties physically represents. It's like you, you get certain things from when you see certain monsters. And if, you want to talk about like I mean for me personally if I see Roman if you put like uh, different monsters on different aisles in a movie section I'd know what I was going to find with Roman. That's a great way to put it. Uh, it. It is an iconic looking monster for sure. The design it speaks so clearly as to what it is. <laughs> it's not trying to be anything other than what it is, and it is still such an iconic piece of. Uh, just imagery from this particular, I guess, subgenre or era of filmmaking yeah. that I love so much. I respond so well to this kind of stuff. And, I mean, 
if you don't at least smile a little bit when you see Roman. I don't I don't want to be your friend, man. <laughs> I don't want to know you because Roman's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mentioned the rights situation. Uh, at one point, it was believed this was in the public domain. I don't think it is. The person who says he's got the rights to it is a guy by the name of Wade Williams. Mm-hmm. Who is somebody who has made a lot of questionable claims over the years regarding what he has rights to and what he doesn't. I've never spoken with the guy. I haven't done enough research to say one way or the other what I feel. But I know that in various communities online, he's not, I guess, well liked. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, That he's known for putting his name on movies that he has no business putting his name on. Gotcha. That said, Wade Williams is the person who made it possible for us to all see Ed Wood's Night of the Ghouls. Okay. Because Night of the Ghouls was something that Ed Wood had shot, sent to the lab, and then couldn't afford to have it processed. And it sat there for years. And Wade Williams was the person who finally said, hey, you still have that? Let me buy it. And ended up putting up the money for it. And because of him, we now have access to that film. But he owns the rights to that one for sure, unquestionably, because he put money into it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Wade Williams may or may not be the person who really has the rights, but his name's all over it. And if you go to the copyright office, that's whose name you'll find on it. That said, he's not been shy about making sure people can see it. It has been released on DVD in various formats over or various uh, labels over the years. You can get your hands on it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It is really easy. You'd think it was in the public domain how easy it is to get a hold of. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and that, that is the thing about the internet these days is that there's a lot out there that uh, you can get online that you probably shouldn't be able to, but it's out there. So you do you. I just checked Amazon. It is currently selling on DVD. Wow. For forty two ninety nine, Really? Hmm. So that usually tells me that it's getting ready to go out of print is when a, a DVD label starts jacking up their prices like that. It's about to go out of print or they're about to lose the rights to it. It's currently put out by Image Entertainment. Um, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, but really you can stream it off Amazon as well. Yeah, I had a copy from, I think, Rhino Entertainment from like 2000 or something. It's out there. You can find it. And I recommend it. I mean, it's a great way to kill about a little over an hour and you get to see Roman. Oh, yeah. Nothing else. Roman, I would love a Roman action figure. And I know there have been some custom ones and some real nice ones made over the years, but I'd love to have like a Roman bust. Uh, I'm, I'm a big Lego fan, and I keep dreaming that I'm going to make like a Lego bust of Roman's head, you know, <laughs> um, just someday because I love the look of the guy. <laughs> I love Roman. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm in the Roman fan club for sure. Good deal. Good deal. Same here. <laughs> Anything else you want to mention about the movie before we start wrapping up here, man? Goodness. Uh, the, the outfits are just kind of kind of weird. They're like, well, uh, we've got some white cotton dresses, uh, some white cotton slacks, and a beige top you can put on. Uh, Roy, uh, halfway through the movie, you got your shirt dirty. Okay, just film the rest of the movie without a shirt. No, no, no. You don't need a shirt for the wedding scene. It's just, <laughs> just stuff like that. It's, yeah, it's, he just randomly takes his shirt off for no really. Yeah, it's like the last half of the movie, he doesn't have a shirt on at all. There's just little weird things like that in the movie where it's like, oh, they had a prop for that, but they lost it. So it's just not there anymore. And <laughs> it's such a cool, fun, charming film. It's funny in spots where it's not supposed to be. It's funny in spots where it is supposed to be. It's kind of scary in a couple parts here and there if you like actually let yourself get sucked into this movie and it is a goofy film and it's not really hard to get 
too, I don't know, immersed within it, but it can happen. And let it happen. Let Roman embrace you in his big furry arms, you know? <laughs> I want a hug from Roman. That's a, <laughs> that's a t-shirt right there. <laughs> yeah. See it. Check it out. Love it. Let me know what you think of it. And uh, maybe hop on over to DB's podcast and tell him he's right or wrong or whatever about Roman. But uh, yeah. whatever you do, check out DB's podcast. PGTTCM.com. Radio Free Oleander. That's what you got to look up. Radio Free Oleander. Check it out. Listen to uh, David and DB spin the tales of this imaginary town with a very real podcast that's supposedly a radio station that's not re- I don't know. It's a head trip, man, but I love it. I get confused. (laughs) Hark, a film of tender love and the screams of vampire death. Now there's a powerful motion picture that rips at your emotions. The Vampire Lovers. It brings you beautiful love and vampire evil, and it'll drive your mind through a thousand terror-filled moments. You'll hear whispers of warm desire become shrieks of chilling death. You'll taste the deadly passion of the vampire lovers and become a slave of the damned. You'll discover the sweet embrace and the deadly kiss of blood nymphs who refuse to die. The Vampire Lovers. It's in color, and it had to be rated R. Under 17 must be accompanied by a parent or adult guardian. Don't miss The Vampire Lovers. Daddy, what's a schlock? Well, son, a schlock is a beast from 20 million years ago who eats nothing but bananas, milk, chocolate cake, and ice cream. Is schlock strong? Mm, The strength of a hundred full-grown gorillas. Pretty strong, eh? Yeah, but the heart of a puppy. Can we go to see the schlock? Can we go to the zoo, huh? Schlock isn't at the zoo. Where is he? Only in the theater. It's a movie? Schlock, 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 schlock. 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 Widescreen color rated PG. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of the Monster Kid Radio experience. I couldn't do what I do without you doing what you do. And what you do, hopefully, is sharing the links and retweeting tweets and letting people know about Monster Kid Radio. Shout out to Tom from Go Forth and Game, who sent me a message saying that he introduced the show to a friend of his. I believe it was a co-worker and, well, probably got a new listener out of that. So, hello, new listener. I'm glad you're here. Anytime we can grow the Monster Kid radio audience, you know, I want to take that and I want to support that because the more Monster Kid radio listeners hopefully means there's more Monster Kids out there and there needs to be more Monster Kids as we continue to just love and celebrate these movies here, even something like Robot Monster. Once again, thanks to DB for being part of the show this week. Please check out the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos link in the show notes. What's coming up next week? Well, we're going to go from Robot Monster and snap you right into a classic, bonafide classic, no air quotes here. We're going to be talking about the Peter Lorre film, M. And we're going to be doing that with Eric Martin from the Cineversary podcast. Eric has been on the show in the past when we talk about old time radio. This time around, we're talking about the Peter Lorre film M, which is celebrating its 90th anniversary this year. How cool is that? And that movie. Wow. What a, what a film. 
So come back next week to listen to that. And then the week after that, David Heath, Astro Zombies. That's right. We're keeping you on your toes. Robot Monster to M to Astro Zombies. Crazy times here at MKR, man. Crazy times. If you have anything that you'd like to share with the show, well, hey, Monsters in the Machine. Let the listeners know how they can contribute. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Asleep in Armageddon. That is copyright 2021. Denis Kovalev of the Bam Boogie injections you can find them at bamboogieinjections.bandcamp.com check out the song check out the entire album pick it up for yourself and let them know that monster kid radio sent you their way my name is Derek kim cook i'll talk to you next week ciao